The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. everybody welcome to the pick six podcast except today is a tuesday we're recording for wednesday which means it's actually a Brady quinn football show i'm not i'm not doing it this week because someone made like a little cut up of that so i'm, I'm no longer playing to the patsy that is will brinson his pick six podcast and his and his social media accounts on pick six podcasts I didn't do that. Somebody, oh, someone did. Someone did. By the way, great call on the Dolphins upset. I mean, and you picked against Philip Rivers, your your boy. I to I didn't call an upset. I, I picked him against the I think. Oh, either way. Oh. Uh, they didn't cover. They did not cover. Yeah. Of course not. And, and or against your boy Philip Rivers, like he wasn't going to cover on the road. Uh, the Chargers in September are typically pretty bad on the road. But thank you, sure. thank you for bringing up. Hey Ryan, how you doing? By the way, doing great, Brady. It's good to talk to you. <laughs> good, to, good to see you. Good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. What a bunch of gentlemen on this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, listen, um, listen. If you want to ask, we're going to do the thing. We're going to pr- we're promoting five star reviews on iTunes or an Apple Podcast. We're also on YouTube. That's why we're recording this on Tuesday. You can watch it on Tuesday night. Um, YouTube.com/slash/cbsports. You'll see in like the when you get to the page, click on videos, and then you'll see a bunch of. A ton of videos. We got a ton of video content, but the ones with the green on them, you can kind of see the green background. Those are us. So if you listen to the podcast and you want to see videos, you want to see the luxurious beard I got going on here. You click on uh, videos and click on that green, uh, green labels. And we, we do, we do this show. Hey, what's the, pic- what's the plan with that beard, by the way? Uh, well, it was originally to do a Gordon Minshew mustache for Halloween. But now I'm being told that we're going to be, as a family, the bad guys from PJ Mask. Oh, gosh. Oh, so you're going to be Night Ninja, or who are you going to be? Uh, I think I'm Night Ninja. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, I'm Night Ninja. Our dog. I, mean, I, I don't think you're going to be Luna Girl. I'm just I'm going on a limb on that one. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, so um, Robbie uh, got a uh, Romeo costume that arrived today. It's actually pretty Ooh, okay. Cute. It's got, like, the hair and, like, the full out. It's, it's pretty cute. He put it on and was running around in it. Little goggles. Uh, AK will be, uh, Luna Girl. I'll be, uh, Night Ninja. And, uh, George is going to be a Ninja Lito, our dog. Okay. So, okay. That makes sense. So, hey, Ryan, okay. what are you doing with your beard? Cause you got a little salt and pepper thing going on there, buddy. You are the second person in three days that's pointing out how old I look, Brady. Thanks, my beard. So what I'm going to do after <laughs> this is trim it up. But, uh, I needed to take the, uh, the, the focus off my bald head. Uh, so that's the plan with the beard there. Um, and in case you guys are wondering, I don't do Halloween. So I will be the guy that turns the lights <laughs> off. Well, that's the least least surprising thing that we've we've <laughs> talked about so far today is that Ryan probably locks his door, shuts his lights off, does not do Halloween. Ryan has yeah. like a Ryan has like a, a plastic mixing bowl that's full of like Bitto honey and Werther's Originals. And he <laughs> out, he's like the American cheese slices. Don't forget the American cheese slices. Uh, granola yeah, bars. Like, is, did you see that, Brady? Did you see the uh, there's a like lights camera pod, which is Barstool's um, movie account or whatever. They tweeted out like the top candy that people prefer by each state. Like North Carolina was 
Werther's Originals. Who is going to a movie and eating a bag of Werther's? You're banking <laughs> down some hard caramel candies. But then Wisconsin was slices of cheese. Like it's the cheese like, state, man. I mean, what, what do you expect? And uh, North Dakota was baked beans, which I think was supposed to be those baked bean candies that I've I've seen but never eaten. But the picture they used was actual baked beans. I couldn't stop laughing at the idea of like somebody in North Dakota just like scooping baked beans into their mouth throughout like Toy Story Four. Um, I mean, well, they probably just give it to them in cans, but yeah, sure. Right, just drinking <laughs> baked beans. Um, so look, if you wanna if you wanna ask Brady what his favorite uh, candy is to eat at the movies, you can do so on Apple Podcasts. Go and leave a That's five-star right. review. You can ask him his favorite um, his favorite place to vacation. You can ask him what his address is. Uh, you can ask him <laughs> ask him that. Uh, a social security number as well while, while, while yes, we're all sure. at it. Yeah, why not? Uh, but anyway, we'll do an Ask Brady segment because and Brady will have the best answers of anybody. So make sure you – like, Brady, your, your answers are always, you know, I feel like – yeah, they're thoughtful. I had something the other day that I was going to ask you about. It's one of those things. It's like a, will you throw your dog's poop in the neighbor's trash can? To, you know what I mean? We've talked about that before. Yeah. I had something else that I thought of, and if I remember it, I will, I will come up with it. But I, I meant to write it down and add, text you about it, and I didn't do it. So now I'm mad. Um, instead, probably don't need to write it down and text it. Probably just text it next time. Right? <laughs> you can remove yeah, one of those steps, right? What was it? What was it? To text. Yeah. Writing text it down. Now I'm sure text Brady. Um, we're going to do our awards, our quarter season awards today. Very excited to do that, as well as our superlatives. Um, did, uh, did Debo actually pick six of them? I think he might have actually, no, there's more than six. Uh, that's fine. We'll do, uh, we'll do superlatives. Let's dive in because we're going to try and aim for a tight 45 minutes here after Brady's derailed. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Um, we're going to begin with superlatives. Some, you know, off the wall award type of stuff. And then we will get to the actual normal awards. Uh, first up, we mentioned my Halloween costume. We're going to talk about the backup quarterback of the quarter season. Who's the best backup quarterback? There have been a bunch of them that played Teddy Bridgewater, Kyle Allen, but I think we might be unanimous here, Brady. One Gardner Minshew. Yeah, look, I think you could probably make a case for Teddy, for Kyle Allen even, and some others that have stepped in and have done a nice job. Um, but the difference to me is Gardner Minshew, you can make the case, has legitimately helped his team win the game. I mean, no doubt about with the way he's played, he's been the reason they've won. Whereas if you go back to this past Sunday night, for example, with Teddy Bridgewater and the Dallas Cowboys, it was largely a team that was led by their defense. I think the Saints have been somewhat conservative with Teddy Bridgewater uh, at quarterback. They were like that in Seattle. They were like that this past weekend. And, and same thing with Mason Rudolph as well since he's taken over for, for Big Ben. Gardner Minshew has brought a whole different feel to this team. I mean, maybe even it's such a different feel that Jalen Ramsey feels like he wants to show up even without the contract he wants and forget about the trade request and just play through the rest of this year. And and, and there's no highlight better than him making about, it seemed like, 10 guys miss in the pocket last week versus Denver and somehow ducking, dodging, weaving, and finding a way to drop an absolute dime in the end zone for a touchdown pass. This guy has people believing in the Jacksonville Jaguars than their ability to win the AFC South. So uh, I think Gardner Minshew has so far been the best backup QB of the quarter season, and we may have to remove that first part uh, if he continues this and maybe just taking over in general for Nick Foles. Yeah, it's pretty crazy how good Gardner Minshew's been. 
I say it every week. At the Senior Bowl, he was absolutely terrible. People sort of forgot about him between January and the draft time. And then he, he was a six-round pick, I believe. And then he's just blown the doors off. No one saw this coming. Uh, maybe Mike Leach did when he wasn't calling his kids dumb and fat. Um, but that said, I want to ask you this, Brady. And we've seen this. You mentioned Mason Rudolph. We mentioned Kyle Allen. Even Daniel Jones a little bit. How is Gardner Minshew able to – it seems like the offense hasn't been tailored to fit a guy who's just been there for two or three months. He seems like he's running the full offense. He's making all the throws. Doesn't seem worried. We saw Mason Rudolph on Monday night in a really controlled short passing game. How does that happen for Gardner Minshew after being a six-round pick and basically being Nick Foles' backup up until September 1st? Well, well, first off, let's just go back for a second with John D. Filippo last year with the Minnesota Vikings. Do you remember how prolific their offense was throwing the football? And then, obviously, he kind of got into it with Mike Zimmer. They weren't running the football enough. You know, weren't necessarily winning football games. Uh, I wonder if Mike Zimmer wish you would have had John D. Filippo back with uh, at least the way they're throwing the football in Jacksonville versus what Kirk Cousins looks like with the Minnesota Vikings. But uh, in part, I think it's it's because of the journey that Gardner Minshew has been on. He's been in so many different systems throughout the course of his career in college, now coming to the NFL, that I feel like he's been able to just learn and understand football, regardless of what you call the play or how you call the play. He's going to go in there and be able to execute it. And he's just going to go out there and play and be able to execute and play at a high level. So I think that's one of the things that stood out to me. Look, he's more mobile and he's better moving the pocket than what we've seen from Nick Foles or even Blake Bortles in the past. And again, there's this ability that he has, Ryan, to make people you know, play to a higher level out around him. He did that at Washington State during his time there. And I think he's now doing that with the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's something about his personality, something about him as a leader that he brings to the table. So that to me has a lot to do with it. Along with the fact that again, John D. Filippo, you know, did a, a decent job last year, at least early on in that season, opening some things up in the passing game. And I think you're seeing him curtail this offense around what Gardner Minshew can do well and some of the other strengths of the pieces on the outside of wide receiver, and they're finding production from it. So, you know, credit to Minshew, credit to John D. Filippo and the rest of this group. Yeah. Uh, by the way, huge matchup of backup quarterbacks with, I'm not even joking, playoff aspirations on the line between the two and two Jaguars who look dead and the two and two Panthers who look dead. Both teams were toast two weeks into the season. Um, and now here we are, Minshew versus Kyle Allen in Charlotte on Sunday. I was well, actually, well, go- cats do have nine lives. You know, think about that, right? <laughs> My brain yeah. exploding. Both cats. Um, playing off here no a lot of cats a lot of cats a lot of cats a lot of cats at that game brady mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of cats a lot of tail at that game a lot of tails. <laughs> um, you know better than anyone else it did carolina right i'll be in connecticut working on hq cbs sports hq our 24 7 streaming sports network you can download uh you can watch on you know what you're, you're watching on youtube you know where we are um anyway uh kyle allen perhaps perchance May make it onto your award list if we were to say best second year quarterback, Brady. Yeah, based on what we've seen so far. I mean, it, look, I'm throwing this out there. I think ultimately Baker Mayfield is going to be the guy who should win this award, but let's just for a second talk about the fact that this guy, he's, he hasn't lost a game yet. He has, I mean, since he's been a starting quarterback in the NFL, he's not lost a game. He won last year in week 17. He's won so far as two opportunities in the NFL this far. He's undefeated as a starting quarterback and he's playing really, really well. So, uh, maybe we can make a case for Kyle Allen and just ride the wave that Carolina has going on right now. And maybe we should give him a little bit more appreciation for a guy that was a part of last year's draft class 
but as a college free agent. Uh, I was going to send you, I was just looking, my wife just started texting me pictures of my son dressed as Romeo. I was going to send them to you. Um, Romeo but I was like, Cornell? yeah, Romeo Cornell. That's his, uh, that's his, actually, I might go as Romeo Cornell. By the way, the Gardner Minshew thing for the Halloween stuff, uh, AK is like, listen, here's the deal. You can't walk around in a mustache and jorts through the neighborhood because it's just not like, it's like, we're going to be dressed It's not going to look good. Yeah. It's not going to look good. Um, people want to call the cops. Yeah. They might call the cops. Lamar Jackson looked good. And, uh, that's my pick as well as Ryan's pick for the best second year quarterback. Ryan, are you concerned at all that Lamar has sort of, uh, slowed down a bit? (laughs) Let's, let's compare him to, let's compare him to Kyle Allen statistically and see how that holds up. Uh, yeah, exactly. Doesn't Kyle no, have not. more TD passes than that, by the way? Uh, no, I don't think he threw one last week. Oh, I didn't? Alright. He didn't throw, he pick, threw four against, um, he Arizona. threw four against yep. Stern on the road. Yep. And then against Houston, cause the final was 16-10. And I think they just had, uh, two touchdowns, or one touchdown. It was just, um, uh, Christian McCaffrey rushing. Okay. Okay. Your MVP guy. Yeah, no, I, I'm fine with Lamar Jackson, what he's done. The concern in the offseason was this new, quote-unquote, Greg Roman offense, offense, which Lamar Jackson said he didn't know anything about during minicamp. Clearly, he knew plenty about it. And he did all the – basically, he just ran last year. We knew that, and it worked up until they ran into the Chargers and lost that playoff game. This year has been completely different. Yes, they lost at home to the Browns uh, on Sunday, and they got beat pretty soundly. But I love what Lamar Jackson brings to the Ravens and sort of, you know, Hidden in all this is that the Ravens' defense is terrible. No one's really talking about that. Their pass rush is terrible. They've had guys banged up in the back end. Jimmy Smith didn't play. And I feel like Lamar Jackson, with those tight ends when they're healthy, with Hollywood um, Brown when he's healthy, um, th- that's a potent offense. And I think we're going to see them go off again when they play Pittsburgh this week after Pittsburgh finally won a football game. And shout out to Brady. Miles Boykin cut his first touchdown pass of the year. Go Irish. How, uh, how are the Irish doing this year? They're doing pretty well. I mean, they lost to Georgia, but you know, they, they bounced back last week. So they covered, they're, they covered, they're, they covered, they, 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 they covered as well, which is all important to our listeners. So they should end up 11 and one. They should. We'll have to wait and see if that actually happens. If that happens, will they get in the, um, college football no. playoffs? No, I, I think they have to go undefeated in order to get in. They just don't have that 13th game indicator. So, uh, unfortunately, I do think they're going to be on their outside looking in, but you know, they'll be, they'll be in a good New Year's six game. That'd be fun. Yeah, maybe you play uh, NC State in the Orange Bowl or something. Um, I was just going to say, I'm part of the Orange Bowl committee, so I can actually be down there for it. It'd be a lot of fun. You're part of the Orange Bowl committee? Yeah. How cool is that? That's pretty good. That's like kind of a, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's good on the resume, right? Sure. <laughs> a lot of oranges. A lot. Somebody, uh, I did something like, uh, ch- uh, charitable related. I was on some board. I'm on, I'm on a board. I'm on a board at our, uh, at the, at my son's preschool. And one of my wife's friends is like, I am. I'm on the, that's, that's good. That's not the orange bowl. Sorry, Brady. Um, well, no, I just, uh, if you're on the board of anything, I would think preschool, kindergarten, that would make a lot of sense for a board you'd be on. But yeah. <laughs> well, that was the thing is that one of my wife's friends, one of our friends, uh, she was like, she's like, that could be really good for your resume. I was like, Oh yeah. 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 Sports media companies really care about preschool boards. They'll be, they'll be thrilled about it. She's like, Oh yeah. I didn't really think about well, that. Well, what they're not, what Boyle's not telling you, Ryan is it's actually a college preparatory, uh, preschool. I'm not sure if you know that. So it actually will be good on his resume moving forward. <laughs> it's our church too. So at least I feel good about my life. Uh, worst rookie head coach out. Devo bringing the painful superlatives. Um, is it possible, Brady, that uh, you actually came to the conclusion you might have seen the worst rookie head coach of the year on Monday night? 
Yeah, when I set this in, I was going to say Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins. Then I thought for a second, you know, he's working with a lesser talented roster as it is, right? And after watching Monday Night Football and just an awful performance by the Bengals, and look, I don't want to put it all on Andy Dalton or their offensive line uh, or their defense. You know, you started to watch the game, and when I watched it back, I said, you know what? They're not making any adjustments. Like, let's just talk about the defense, for example. Uh, why don't they not play zone the entire time versus a backup quarterback? It's not like Antonio Brown's there anymore, or Le'Veon Bell for that matter. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster's a good player. You can match up Drake or Kirkpatrick with him. And then the rest of the guys, no one's really proven themselves. So why not play some press man-to-man coverage, mix some things up? Or how about this? Why not have an answer for the Wildcat? How many times are you going to watch Jalen Samuels back there in shotgun receiving a direct snap and not have an answer for it? Or a jet sweep, whether it's a pass, run, what have you, not have an answer for that either. I mean, how it just seemed like the team was ill-prepared. They didn't make adjustments, at least defensively speaking, and it was tough to watch. And then offensive, you know, they, they run like 10, 11, 12 screens in the game to Joe Mixon. How many times are they going to have to run that play before they realize you don't threaten anyone downfield? So there's really no reason for anyone to play back or feel threatened, and they're going to keep squatting in zone coverage versus your your screens. And if you're running a screen versus man-to-man coverage, it's pretty tough to do to get it to the running back because the guy who's responsible for him usually is covering him right away, and it's tough for an offensive lineman to actually be able to then block or even get hands on him. So schematically, I thought they were outcoached. That's saying something considering the struggles of Pittsburgh this year and how bad they've been from a schematic standpoint on both sides of the ball. But it was just incredibly disappointing. They had no energy, no juice, nothing, you know, for a big primetime spot on Monday Night Football. So, I, I you know, I they think were, maybe I'm – They were running the play clock down to zero. Well, like, and, what and like Andy Dalton's had a play, you know, delay of game how many times. And just the whole thing was a terrible operation when you had extra time to prepare. So they weren't, you know, Zach Taylor wasn't the worst hire at this point, but, but so far I think that's been the toughest transition and, and, and they're, they, they've got a long road ahead because AJ Greenins ain't coming back for a while. He's not going to save them. And this offensive line isn't going to improve anymore either. AJ, by the well, way, if you're, Green, if you're AJ Green, why would you come back? Like I'm mm-hmm. going to be sitting down, hold my ankle and like hold my leg, wrapping it in a cast, acting like I'm dying. And then as soon as Bill Belichick trades for me, like, oh man, I feel good. Let me pop it up and walk into New England. Um, so don't play. What about you, Ryan? Who you got as the, uh, the worst rookie head coach? Deliver a shot straight to Brady's heart. Go ahead. Tell him the truth. Before I break Brady's heart, I'm going to give him a little hot take here. And we talked about this on the podcast, uh, after that, uh, Steelers Bengals game. That game was terrible for, uh, Cincinnati. There's no two ways about it. But coming into that game, I thought that Zach Taylor, the chemistry between Zach Taylor and Andy Dalton was actually better. The Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers, what we've seen over the first three weeks. That clearly went out the window. I don't know if things are uh, unable to be fixed in Cincinnati, but I feel like they were on the right track until, you know, Andy Dalton got sacked nine times and looked like he wanted to quit halfway through the third quarter. All right, that said, out of the way, here's uh, here's the, the worst rookie coach so far through the quarter poll. It's uh, Brady's guy, Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, the Cardinals, look, they hired Cliff Kingsbury to spice things up. Uh, the air raid offense. His love of Kyler Murray forced them to draft Kyler Murray first overall. And if you just went back in time and looked at this offense from a year ago and then looked at this offense now, you'd be hard-pressed at the end of the day to figure out how it's gotten a lot better. I think Kyler Murray is – I mean, statistically speaking, it has. I mean, you you can't disagree with that. Statistically speaking, may not scoring, but they put up more passing yards and there's been more production, at least in that realm. 
Cliff has been extremely conservative. He's not gone for it when they were clearly should have gone for it in fourth down situation. They're kicking field goals. We don't need to kick field goals inside the five yard line. And I understand, you know, it, it'll come and they don't have very many players. I understand all that, but I was expecting a little more than what we've seen through the first month. Look, I like Kyler Murray. I'm not, I don't know if they should have drafted him first overall. I don't know if that's going to magically fix everything. Uh, at the end of the day, I feel like Steve Kime is, is on path to get fired because this hasn't, this, this hasn't worked itself out. But at what point, Brady, can we expect this offense to, to write itself and look like something close to what Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury was hoping to see. Well, I don't know that it's going to this year, to be quite honest with you. I mean, the reason why I don't think Cliff Kingsbury fits in this category is, A, he doesn't have as bad of a record. Granted, they're winless, but they're also not 0-4. <laughs> um, so they've actually been competitive in games. And I don't know that Cincinnati's ultimately really been that competitive. The first probably week, Brady, since, they, they should have yeah, beat Yeah, week one, sure. Well, they could have, should have, would have. They didn't. And they should have beat um, the Bills last week. Again. Arizona just got blown out by Seattle. <laughs> Sure. In Why the, is Brady making me gang up on him with you? This is killing me. Hey, look, here, here's what I'd say in that regard. At least they've actually gotten a tie. They've taken a game into overtime. And, and at some points, again, had they not gone for the field goals instead of, you know, fourth downs, who knows? Maybe it would have been closer. I would say this, though. Did they not have the worst roster next to the Miami Dolphins? I mean, so it's not like they were coming in working with much. So for that reason alone, I think it's going to be really tough for this team to be competitive or, or you to ever see this offense that they were hoping for. That's the first thing. And I think the other thing is, you know, they kind of knew what they were taking on. Like Steve Kime, I'm, I'm sure he is going to be moving on, but how many of his decisions, how many guys that have been drafted or guys that he's signed, uh, probably better guys who have been drafted are still there. I mean, he has done a terrible job putting this team in positions to be able to actually have guys who grow and develop. So, um, I don't think it's all on Cliff Kingsbury. I think this is a bad roster to begin with. Same thing with the Dolphins. I think it's probably why I didn't go with those two, where I feel like Zach Taylor's working with more Cincinnati, and yet you're still getting a terrible, terrible result your fourth game in the season, where I'd like to see them ascending at least a little bit more. I mean, they're, they're, they're 25th in terms of points score per game and 23rd in terms of yards per game. So it's not, I mean, they are better than last year. They are improving from last year. Well, like, come on. Like you, you, you want to throw these other teams into the category. Like they look, they look hopeless. I mean, they really do. Like the Dolphins seem hopeless to be able to win games this year. The Bengals after last night, like uh, maybe a divisional game, maybe if they do get AJ Green back and are healthy, but I'm just not sure what you're watching to make you think that this team's going to be able to have any sort of success when they're losing to a backup quarterback who barely threw the football over 10 yards the entire game. And they've been doing that for two weeks now in Pittsburgh. Hey, Brady, who has the better plan going forward, though? The Dolphins, the Bengals, the Cardinals, any other crappy team you want to put in there? I mean, probably Miami because they'll be the worst now the first pick. (laughs) It's like, I mean, if that's the plan for all these teams who are winless, like – Let's go ahead and try to, you know, draft the, the quarterback next year and see if that'll solve our problems. But th- these rosters are so depleted around the quarterback position, it doesn't matter. They really need to do, they really need to figure out a way of how to build up around that position. Cause I actually think Kyler Murray's talented. He does fix some issues what they have up front on their offensive line. It could be worse. Um, however, he still can't do it all. Yeah. I mean, I think if you were saying who has the most in place in terms of assets on the roster right now, then Arizona's in better shape than Cincinnati and Miami for sure. Um, but there's yeah, but a, don't you wonder though, like who's going to, who could they really rely on long-term a wide receiver? Like you can't expect Fitz to play forever. Um, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I don't know that they really truly have a number one right now aside from Larry Fitzgerald. 
No, no, I'm not suggesting that they should be better because of that. I'm saying in terms of the long-term plan. Like if you were if you were taking over a roster, but that's what I'm did... saying is like what what's the long-term plan in Arizona? They have Terrell Suggs. He's not getting any younger. He's probably towards his end of days. Larry Fitzgerald's almost done. DJ Swearinger has been getting beat every week, matched up on whatever tight end. He got cut. He got cut. He yeah. finally got cut. I mean, it's it's yeah. like you you can go on down the line and just kind of look at the different players and sit there and say they're not that young of a team. Like I don't know that they have that great of a plan moving forward. Well, that's that, not and not to belabor the point here on Arizona, but that's the problem too. Is you you gave a GM and Steve Kime his second run at a at a quarterback in a draft in back to back years. You gave his second run at a coach in back to back years, and you have tied yourself to Cliff Kingsbury because you drafted Kyler Murray after you hired Cliff Kingsbury, who was hired by Steve Kime. So, do you fire Kime and bring in another GM? Because then what you do that is the Are GM we- on board. Kingsbury, Are we positive like, Steve Kime made all those decisions? Are we sure Michael Bidwell didn't maybe have a hand in everything? Well, I think that's part of the problem, right? There's no surefire organizational structure. I mean, the only thing, I mean, I'm not saying it's as bad as the Redskins, but like, there's no, there's no continuity in terms of how they operate as an organization. By the way, you know what I tried to think of just a second ago? If like Brady, if, if this was Brady's draft and Brady were like, you know, the stud number one pick, you know, coming out that people were trying to tank for. What would be your like tanking? Would it be like stinking for Quinn or like I'm trying to think like you know tanking for Tua? What would it be? What would Brady's be? We got to come up. People with that. used to say Quinn to win, so that's not what, that what? Quinn to win is not that difficult to to figure it out. But but like <laughs> you don't, but you don't that involve tanking. Yeah, I I don't know. I I, I, we'll I have to mean, get back to you. Yeah, that's a good we'll question. Brady, Brady refuses to associate himself with tanking. I respect that. I mean, no player or coach will ever say that they're trying to go out there and lose football games. Like, think about it. A lot of the veteran guys I named on Arizona's roster or in Miami or wherever else, when you hear about, for example, the Dolphins player saying they went out, like, yeah, they went out because if if the plan is the long-term plan for the Miami Dolphins, then those players don't want to be a part of losing a bunch of games and looking crappy on film. No wonder Mika Fitzpatrick wanted to get out of there. So, like, the tanking idea is is like a facade of what people on the outside bring up. Like, would you like to put yourself in a position to get a quarterback? Of course, but you can still do that without being absolutely pathetic in a season. And I think we're seeing that more often than not now with some uh, front offices. And I, I think the people who, you know, to be quite honest with you, you know, end up getting fooled the most are like the Brian Flores and Chris Greer who are in the position of head coach and, and basically GM. And, and those are the guys that aren't going to be able to survive two bad seasons in the NFL. No one's patient anymore with these guys. Um, let's move hey, on Brent to the Wait, before you move on, shout out to Debo. He came up with one for, for Brady. Did you see it? I did. Quit no, for I did. Quinn. Quit for Quinn. Oh, run, that's man. good. <laughs> Brady's shaking like his head. You guys Quinn. are awful. Just awful. No one wants to see competitive football games and parody in the NFL. It's what about, what about quit pro Quinn? Like quit yeah. pro Quinn? Uh, sounds no, more political. Better. And that may, that may get, get you in some issues right now yeah. in, the, in the world of politics. Did the Russians tell you that one, Wilbur? It, Oh, whoa, don't blow the whistle on me was it here. Russia now. or was it Ukraine or who was it? Uh, moving along, speaking of, the, speaking of the biggest problems in this country, uh, <laughs> would you say the biggest problems in this country are the officials, Brady? Or, uh, like, we all named officials. I, I, I'm just gonna No, not the I, officials. I'd say the new rule. Like, wouldn't you guys agree? Like, the offensive <laughs> pass interference and the defensive pass interference rule and the ability to review it or challenge it, I should say. And then it's even the final two minutes. Disaster. It's, it's not a disaster. What happened is, and again, we'll, we'll kind of go to a broader scale. It's like when you implement a law for one specific reason, but then ends up being applicable to a lot of other things, you're like, oh, 
man, that 0.01% of the time this happens, maybe we should walk back that law that we just created for this. Like that's essentially what the NFL did. There's like only 0.01% of the time you see a call that everyone can agree upon was egregious, was missed. And if they're sitting in a bar, I don't care how hammered they are, it could go, that should have been past interference in the NFC Championship game last year. Everyone could agree upon that, right? So now we yeah. create a replay review or the ability to challenge it or if you're a replay official to review it. And what we're getting is a bunch of plays that aren't really that definitive and, and they're not that egregious. So what happens? The coaches challenge it and they don't end up winning it. We don't see overturns for calls that are made or we don't see calls that are made for calls that weren't when we do challenge it. So that's the difficulty of it. I think in the final two minutes of games, we expect them to, based on replay, look back look and back. say, okay, okay, this is going to end up you know, being a pass interference or an offensive pass interference, and it's just not going to happen. So I assume after the first quarter of, of the season that coaches are going to become wise to this. They're most likely going to stop challenging some of those calls anymore and wasting the timeouts, unless it's the first half, then maybe they don't care as much. Yeah, but you lose that one challenge. I, I'm with you. I, I think the sis, I, I think the problem here is that they haven't sat these coaches. Like you had all season to sit these coaches down and say, listen, here's how we're going to operate this. And I think the reason they haven't done that is because they didn't know coming into the season how it was going to work. And now these coaches have started challenging the stuff. And we saw it overturned in Seattle, Pittsburgh with, when Pete Carroll challenged it. And I think someone went to Al River on and said, you got to stop overturning this stuff. We're opening, we opened a can of worms. We made a mistake. Shove those worms back in the can. Pop the lid on top of it and save this thing until the playoffs in case something really bad happens. And let's just let these morons keep challenging, even though we keep not overturning it. And we'll just see what happens throughout the course of the season. That feels like where we're at this year. Yeah, it's a disaster. I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense. It's wasting time. I know they want to save time. That's the whole purpose of why they're not overturning all these all these flags. But I, I don't know what to do. And we saw it again last night. They they didn't overturn one that was obviously not pass interference. You mentioned the Steelers and the Seahawks. We saw the no call a few weeks ago on uh, one of the primetime games. I can't remember. That was almost as egregious as the uh, championship game with the Saints and the Rams. So, I mean, it goes on and on. And we sort of joke about it. But Al Riveron, it's clearly sitting in a lazy boy, blindfolds on, half asleep, not doing his job. And, and maybe the NFL is okay with that. <clears throat> Excuse me. One other thing I wanted to point out in terms of things that I find most frustrating uh, through the season, through four weeks of the season and basically – Every season in the last 10 years, just the conservatives, conservatism among the coaches in terms of the play calling, the refusing to go forward on fourth and one and fourth and two, uh, the kicking the field goals inside the five yard line. And that's league wide pretty much. What's that? Cliff Kingsbury. <clears throat> <laughs> but, but listen, I actually tweeted about this last night because the Steelers for the longest time under Mike Tomlin refused to run the quarterback sneak on fourth and short. Uh, Drew Brees does it. Tom Brady does it. They've never gotten hurt running the QB sneak. And for some reason that makes zero sense to me, they have the quarterback turn around, hand the ball off with 11 guys standing in the box, and more times than not, they get a half yard and don't get the first down. It's, it's simple things like that where you only have 65, 70 plays a game that you're hurting yourself. You're not giving yourself the full opportunity to, to score touchdowns and then kick field goals. So I'll put that uh, a distant second to the officiating being truly terrible. All right, uh, we're going to run through two more categories very quickly. Most entertaining team not named the Chiefs, Brady. Well, to me, it's the Patriots. I mean, for starters, they're phenomenal this year, right? I mean, the number one defense in the NFL. You're kind of wondering what this team's going to be like without Rob Gronkowski. Uh, Tom Brady and the Patriots come out still dominating like the defending Super Bowl chance we'd expect. They signed Antonio Brown. Like, can we give them a little bit of credit for watching what a disaster that was in Oakland and saying, like, 
yeah, we're above it. Like we can figure this out. We can we we can bring him in here and we'll change him. And uh, that clearly didn't work out. And, and obviously, you know, Bill Belichick is uh, you know is still one of the best as far as just the way he dismisses pretty much everything and answers uh, various questions from the media week by week after games or or during uh, those moments where he's available to the media. So. I still think it's the New England Patriots. Um, they just, you know, continually dominate both on the field as well as off the field. I'll take the uh, Browns. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. Okay, I was going to say, <laughs> why do you why do you keep double stepping me here? Yeah, I'll Will, go Will, Will, shut your pie hole for a second, okay? Fine, I'll, I'll go, go double stuff for you since we're doing this. Yeah, you do that. I'll go quickly. I'm going with the San Francisco 49ers and Kyle Shanahan. Uh, we were talking in the summer that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan may be in trouble in terms of their job security. Through no fault of Kyle Shanahan, if we're being honest, Jimmy GQ got hurt last year early in the season. He's back. He looked a little rough in the preseason, so again, there were some concerns. And not only has that offense turned things around and looks really good when it's running uh, – full steam on all cylinders with Shanahan and Jimmy G. That defense is lights out. This team is ranked third, according to Total Outsiders Advanced Metrics. Number three, I don't remember the last time that's happened, but that is a huge development out in the Bay Area, and it's actually fun to watch. And I want to see how good this team can actually really be or whether this is going to be a short-term thing and they're going to be sort of fluctuate up and down and it'll take a few years to, to sort of hit the hit their stride, so to speak. Uh, like I said, I'll take the Browns. I mean, what, what else do we need? We got Freddie Kitchens, uh, you know, being sort of crazy, uh, getting ripped by the media. Baker Mayfield is, is, is beefing with somebody every single week, whether it's OBJ, I mean, excuse me, not OBJ, whether it's Rex Ryan, Antonio Brown on social media. Uh, I believe Odell Beckham and Marlon Humphrey, like, choked each other out in, in uh, the game. Um, if, if this team keeps winning games, they're going to be insufferable. They're going to be peacocking around the NFL and the AFC North making fun of everybody else, talking about how they are the, they're the new dogs in town. And then they're probably going to lose by 42 to the Patriots in the playoffs. Uh, moving along to the best defense. I think it's pretty easy, Brady. It's the Patriots, right? Yeah, there's not really much you can say. This might be let – ask, Let me ask this a different way then. Is this the best Patriots defense Bill Belichick's ever had? Yeah, before you cut me off, I was about to say that. It very well might be. Uh, obviously a very talented secondary uh, group that's played together for such a long period of time has great chemistry, and that's a huge advantage to uh, a front that I think is one of the more talented ones he's had. But, again, to me it plays into their coverage. I mean, it, they've never been a team that's valued getting sacks quite as much as just getting off the field on third downs and batting down passes and making it difficult for teams to be able to execute. So um, because they've been as you know as good as anyone else, Carolina Panthers, I believe they're both tied for 18 sacks at this point on the season – that's really stood out to me, along with the fact their coverage aspects, and also like the Brian Flores moved on, and now Gerard Mayo and Bill Belichick, you know, whoever you want to kind of give credit to, are dealing with this. But they even went through change on their coaching staff, and the fact that they've been better earlier in the year just tells you how dominant, how good this defense is. Uh, the Patriots are the obvious choice, so I wanted to mix it up. I went with the Buffalo Bills, based solely. Well, the start of the season's been really good. They're obviously three and zero coming in last week, but they absolutely shut down Tom Brady last week in Buffalo. To the point where he threw for 150 yards, completed fewer than 50% of his passes, no touchdowns, didn't have, had one turnover in the red zone. And, uh, I want to ask you quickly, Brady, about this, cause me and Wilbur talked about this on the podcast yesterday. I don't know if you saw the clip before the, the game during warmups when Sean McDermott ran off two Patriots assistants, one being, uh, Belichick's son. And here, here's the argument. Like, I understood why he did it just because he's always uh, fearful of, of the, the Patriots probably doing things they shouldn't. But the counter argument is, well, there's 70,000 people watching the exact same thing. Why can't they be out there? 
Is there something going on if you're on the field with your team and the other team is in the locker room that you don't want the other team to hear before the game? Uh, I mean, I don't know. It depends on what they hear, when they hear it, you know, and, and I always said this. I mean, I, I could sit there and give you a play or tell the defense what play we're running. And if it's not the same offense that they're going up against their defense, most of the time those guys aren't going to know. Um, I think we tend to give opponents too much credit. I mean, even in the spy gate and all that back in the day when people were like, well, they're stealing signals and so they know what they're playing. Okay. Well, you, you still have to go out and execute. Um, and, and so there, there's still that element of, yeah, maybe some things were a little bit more predictable and that does gain you a big advantage. Um, but it's also like being a batter and then knowing what pitch is coming. You still got to hit it. And, and there's also that kind of question in the back of your mind, like, wow, if something's changed, maybe it's different, maybe it's not. So, um, in this case, I don't find it to be as ridiculous as something like Spygate. I'm not sure what they were planning on to gather from that. Um, and, and so I wouldn't read a ton into it. I think if you're worried about those sorts of things, it more tells you about where probably your organization is as compared to one of the best, like the New England Patriots. Uh, I, my theory, and I'll float it again. I think I floated it last, I don't know if I floated it last night. Maybe I was just talking with people about it. Uh, I think they wanted to, um, I think they wanted to disrupt Sean McDermott's demeanor and mess up his headspace and get in his, get in his head and really like trick him. It'd be like if Brady like showed up in a hat that said, Brinson sucks. Before the podcast, like I'd be like, "What are you? What? How, why would you do that? This is inappropriate, wildly rude." Where do they make what, those? <laughs> Where do they make those? My wife has a whole. My wife has a whole sleeve of them downstairs. Um, yeah, that anyway. didn't sound right. That did not sound right. Not so. Moving. All right, let's take a break. <laughs> when we come back, we'll give out our actual course for the season. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, welcome back to the Pick 6 Podcast. Reminder, you can watch us on YouTube, youtube.com slash CBS Sports. If you want to see the glorious salt and pepper that coats Ryan Wilson's face. That's salt and pepper mane he's got going on. Thank you. you no, know, Ryan, Ryan had, uh, Ryan's facial hair was jet black before he uh, started working with me. I believe that. Also true. 
Uh, let's get to our real awards of the season. Like off, you know, quarter season anyway. First up, offensive rookie of the year. Ryan, I'm going to go to you first because we have the same one. And it's, oh, we uh, we do. Uh, it's, uh, it's a guy who's actually only played three games because he didn't play in week four. Scary Terry F1 McLaurin. The guy with so many nicknames, it's annoying. I just like Scary Terry personally. He's been awesome for the Redskins there, right? Absolutely fantastic for I mean, we've been talking about teams with absolutely no players. Uh, the Redskins have one and a half players. The one didn't play last week, as you point out, Scary Terry, and they put the half one out there, Dwayne Haskins, and he took a whipping, uh, as you might expect, even though it was against the Giants. So, yeah, Terry's been great. Uh, coming into the, the season and during the draft season, the talk wasn't so much about him. It was about uh, Paris Campbell, who uh, certainly made a lot more plays at Ohio State, and, and that's why the focus was there. But he has been lights out, especially on a team where – uh, excuse me, Josh Doxson got cut. Jordan Reed can't stay healthy. He's still is de- dealing with concussion issues. Trent Williams refuses to show up. And Case Keenum slash Dwayne Haskins haven't had much of a chance back there. So great story. Makes you wonder how good he would be on another team. I mean, I hate to say it, but imagine him on, on a team like the Patriots right now, how that would work out for him. But strong start to the season. Hats off to him, especially under tough circumstances. How about you, Brady? Daniel Jones, come on. He's letting a spark in this Giants team now. He's 2-0 as a starter. Uh, he's brought back uh, a little bit more of a, a rushing attack, at least from the quarterback position. And he's doing it in the large part without Saquon Barkley, their best player on offense. So I definitely think you could make a case for Daniel Jones considering all the pressure, all the hype. Is he warrant the number six overall pick this past year's draft? He's falling behind a guy that some people feel like could be a Hall of Famer in the toughest media market in the NFL. And, and he's and he's been able to do it, man. He really has brought life back in this team. And they're back in the NFC East race. And I feel like even their defense is playing better since he's taken over. So to me, it's it's Danny Dimes at this point. Mm. It's a compelling case. Now, he hadn't played as many games, but he is 2-0. He's played His one team- less game than Terry McLaurin in the, in the toughest position to play. Come on. He's completely turned around that team. Terry McLaurin could play as good as possible. He ain't turned around the, the Washington Redskins for being a winless team right now. Classic quarterback defending a quarterback, acting like it's the toughest position in football, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're like, this guy's serious? I'm going to kill Brinson. Um, no, of course, I, you know what? I would, I would probably, if I were thinking and redoing my picks, I would probably go Daniel Jones. I know that's sad that you just backed me into that corner, but I would do that. Uh, Ryan, your pick was terrible. Good job, Brady. Next, <laughs> next up, uh, defensive rookie of the quarter season. I won't back down on this one though, Brady. Uh, you, uh, you could be as uh, savage as you want and I won't change my mind. Oh, well done. Well done. Look, I liked the player that both you and Ryan picked and I think you can make a great case for that, but I think also think we make a lot of cases for, um, pass rushers. So I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go with a guy who I feel like has brought versatility, maybe some flexibility to Mike Penton's defense in Green Bay, and that's Darnell Savage. He's been impactful both in the run and pass game, and I think he brings an added development. where They can put him down in the box. He can be back in coverage. He can play playing up in zone or man-to-man coverage, but he's been a huge piece in my mind of that Green Bay Packers defense and the improvement that they made from last year to this year so far. So I'm going with the Savage, Darnell Savage, their first-round pick out of Maryland. Yeah, that's a great pick. I was actually thinking about Darnell, too, because they've completely transformed that defense, and Darnell on the back end has a lot to do with that. But as uh, Brinson pointed to, and and I think we're on the same page with this one as well, Brian Burns out of Florida State, 
who came in. I think he played last year, like at 235. He gained 15 pounds going to the combine. Apparently, he's kept it on, and he's been able to play at that. He has 11 tackles, two and a half sacks in four games. And, and here's the thing I would point to. If you're the Oakland Raiders and you want to change the culture of your team and you draft Cleveland Farrell number four overall, don't worry about changing the culture of your team. You got Incognito. You got Perfect. You got AB there. Draft Brian Burns, someone who can get after the pass rusher after you get rid of Khalil Mack, and solve that problem now because uh, Farrell has not had a very good start to the season. It's not entirely his fault, but he also shouldn't have gone fourth overall. So Brian Burns is my guy. He's been a huge help on the, on the end there in Carolina, and that defense is uh, making a resurgence, Willie. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I've been really impressed. Uh, I went back and watched that game. Uh, against the Houston Texans and, and Houston's offensive line, Brady, I think is actually probably better than, than people are giving it credit for. Like Laramie Tunsil and the, and the young guys are playing well. Um, but Ron Rivera is like going full mad scientist on this defensive front for Carolina. He's sending guys from, you know, they're doing all kinds of different stuff, like, you know, twists, stunts, sending Shaq Thompson on blitzes, Luke Keekley's attacking. Uh, they're just not afraid to send anybody and everybody in there to create pressures from different angles. And it's causing some younger quarterbacks. Mobile guys who like to hold the ball, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, a little bit of trouble. And I think, actually, it's going to cause Gardner Minshew a lot of trouble this week just because he won't have seen all that stuff. Any thoughts on what Ron Rivera's done with that defense so far? Well, I'd start off by saying this. They've played in the past two weeks two really bad offensive lines. So it starts there. It makes it much easier to win those one-on-one matchups. Um, you know, I called the Arizona game. And when Arizona became one-dimensional, which is, you know, largely by their own choice anyway, but also they were down in that game. Uh, it was kind of just a feeding frenzy at that point. Um, you know, Kyler Murray was sitting back there. Guys weren't separating. They weren't on the same page. Uh, he was trying to buy time, but eventually this, the pass rush got to him. So, uh, part of it, I think is a little bit based on the fact that, um, they've, they've played some bad teams. Uh, but he has been more aggressive and I think it's a good thing. And look, I mean, based on how they finished the season last year, how they started the season this year, you got to change it up, do something different. They got to create more pressure and credit the, the secondary too for their coverage. I also think that's been a little bit of a piece of it as well. Um, but yeah, they've mixed up some different looks. And I think if you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, they gave up five sacks last week to the Denver Broncos. So there's no doubt the offensive line is going to be vulnerable. The question just becomes, can Gardner Minshew pull off some of that mustache magic in the pocket and, and be able to make something happen back there? Uh, I'm betting on him being able to do that this week. So as much as I want to say the Carolina Panthers continue the streak, I've got more faith right now, I think, in the Jacksonville Jaguars in a close game than I do in Kyle Allen continuing his streak of playing some really clean football moving forward. All right. Coach of the year. And we, Ryan and I both had Brian Burns. Coach of the year, though. Uh, nobody on the Panthers, nobody on the Jaguars. Do have some AFC East action for me and Brady, but Ryan, you actually went with a, uh, NFC West guy, a guy who's been on the hot seat, maybe on the hot seat coming in and now suddenly fixed the, uh, the, the defense and the offense in terms of Kyle Shanahan, right? Yeah. Kyle Shanahan. I, we talked about the 49ers earlier and how they're my, Favorite team to watch so far early in the season and the biggest surprise. And, you know, all credit to Kyle Shanahan on, on the offense. Robert Sala on the defense has obviously had a big role as well. But here's the thing uh, about Kyle Shanahan. If he got fired, if this team won two games this year, he would be out of a job for about 35 minutes. You can't say that about every other guy who's going to get fired this season. Uh, he clearly probably doesn't have to worry about that now. The team is playing really well. And, um, yeah, he's my guy. I'm sort of excited. I'm not a 49ers fan, never had any real interest in – pulling for a West Coast team, but I'm excited to watch this team play and, and to see the things he's able to do with much less uh, the firepower of Sean McVay or, or guys out of the Sean McVay coaching tree. Uh, Brady, you went with a bold, unconventional – actually, you know what? This actually is a bold, unconventional choice because this guy never wins the award for Coach of the Year. 
Okay, so thank you for making my case. A guy who's coming off with less of an offseason to prepare. This team should, you know, again, constantly is going to Super Bowls, yet I guess they're so used to it by now they can just figure out how their offseason schedule is going to work with a team that's used to playing in February. Bill Belichick, I mean, we're typical, we're used to seeing this team play and get off to slow starts and then kind of finding their identity halfway through the season. That hasn't been the case. This team's been phenomenal so far at the beginning of this year. Coming off a of Super Bowl, no Rob Gronkowski. Like I said earlier, a change with Brian Flores leaving on the defensive side of the ball. You know, we kind of forget. Greg Shiano was supposed to take over this defense, right? All of a sudden he left, so they had to kind of fill in for that over this past offseason. I don't think he gets enough credit for continuing to find ways of winning, of being successful, and dominating a league that's really built for parity. So I know it seems like the obvious choice, but to your you know, point you made earlier, he's usually not appreciated the way he should be. Uh, Bill Belichick should win coach of the year for what he's done so far in the first quarter of the season. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. So Bill Belichick and uh, Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, uh, have 11 combined national titles and six combined coach of the year awards. Like that doesn't... Doesn't really add up, you know what I'm saying? It's like LeBron. LeBron has, uh, four MVPs. Really? I mean, it's, it's, we hold him to a higher standard. That's great. It's like Mike Trout. He's held to a higher standard. My choice is actually going to be Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills. I know he's three and one now after losing, uh, to Bill Belichick. And I know people like to pick on the fact that uh, he once started Nate Peterman and they hold it against him. Sean Wagner does that. Uh, and I know that he chased off Bill Belichick's son last week. I just think what he's done in terms of building that defense and getting this Bills team to overachieve consistently and in particular this year and get them on the trajectory for the playoff path uh, is certainly uh, worthy of being in this in, in this spot. The other guy I think you could include would be Matt Patricia if he hadn't called that timeout in, in week one to cost his team a win. Defensive player of the quarter season, uh, Brady. Got this one's a, easy. Yeah, Shaq Barrett. Come on, nine sacks? We've never seen that before in the first four games of a season. So, you know, where this, where'd this guy come from? Has he been in the league before? Yeah, actually, he was in Denver. He was in Denver when John Elway decided not to, well, obviously want to pay him or extend him or keep him on the team. Uh, but John Elway has done a good job drafting quarterbacks, so he's got that on his resume. Right, right. And he's, you know, figured it out, too, with the guys he's brought in to coach the team. And Okay. Anyway, uh, Shaq Barrett, nine sacks. Uh, it's just incredible the season, the start that he's got off to. Remember, this is a team in the offseason when JPP, um, obviously with, with, with his health concerns right now, we didn't know what to expect or who, who was going to get pressure or how they're going to get pressure. Shaq Barrett stepped up in a major way. Credit him, credit Todd Bowles, putting him in positions, mixing up some looks too defensively um, to allow him to get some free runs. So uh, just a phenomenal year so far for Shaq Barrett, uh, getting after opposing quarterbacks. And uh, and look, again, a guy who hasn't really been in this position to be featured like this. So I can't wait to see if he can potentially challenge Michael Strahan's record because he's obviously on a pace to surpass that, but I think we all know eventually he's going to slow down. No, that's right. Nine sacks this season. The three previous years in Denver, he had eight and a half sacks totaled. He's got two passes defended this year. He has an interception. He has three forced fumbles. I, I mean, I it's not even close. Miles Garrett is number two there on the sack list. But I, I think if you're making a case for anyone other than, than Shaquille Barrett, you're, you're not really paying attention. So huge hit. And I think a, a nod of the cap to uh defensive coordinator there. What's his name? Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles, who sort of like Steve Wilkes has reinvented himself on the defensive side of the ball where they feel much more comfortable, it feels like, than, than being head coaches. And I think there's something to be said for that. So uh way to go, Todd. Way to go, Shaq. Uh, I like that you, uh, had forgotten Todd Bowles already. Good work by you. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, Barrett's nine sacks tie Mark Gassino 
Kabir Jamila, and um, I really botched that, and Kevin Green uh, from 1984, 2001, and 1998, respectively, for the most sacks in their team's first four games of a season since 1982 when the sack became an official statistic. Uh, I'll go with Khalil Mack, though. Without Khalil Mack, where are the Bears? Where are they? I mean, they've got a bunch of good players on that defense, but the Bears, with that crap offense, busted Mitchell Trubisky, Chase Daniel, why an okay the offensive line is playing fine. They the might be, okay. Hey Will, are they in a better spot with Chase Daniel than your boy Mitchell Trubisky? Uh, yes. You're reading my mind, Brady. I've been saying this for weeks. People were laughing at me. I mean, no, I, I I felt like I knew more what to expect from the Bears offense than when Trubisky got in there. Like the touchdown pass to Cohen, I'm thinking, okay, it's cover four. The backside safety pushes number three, so you know you got your running back one on one. I know that Chase Daniel knows that. Would Trubisky have known that? And would he have thrown a touchdown pass? I don't know. So I feel like you know more to what to expect. Just thinking. That's literally what Ryan was just thinking. Cover four, running back wide alone. Thank um, you, Brady. I, I, I do think there is a case to be made that Chase Daniel gives them a, a higher floor, even if the ceiling's not as high. And you don't need, but you don't need your offensive ceiling to be that high when your defense is that good. Well, to your point, not when you have a guy like Cleo Mack. Exactly. Uh, Miles Garrett would be my, if I were picking for the season, like who I think is going to win at the end of the year, Miles Garrett would still be my answer. That was my preseason pick. Offense. Oh, we're skipping offensive player of the year. We're going straight to the MVP quarter season MVP. I'll let you have the first obvious word, Brady, before I counter it with a bold statement. Oh gosh. Come on. It's for the, what they've done so far this year. Patrick Mahomes. How could you not give this guy the MVP again? I know it seems obvious, but it's glaringly obvious that he should still win it once again. And he's on pace to, you know, be right back where he was last year statistically. Everyone's got an off season to prepare for him. Now there's a book on him. Everyone's seen Andy Reid and this, this Patrick Mahomes offense. They still can't stop it. And he's done a lot of this without Tyreek Hill. So to me, Patrick Mahomes once again deserves to be a top of the MVP conversation. He's just been unstoppable. I don't really know that we've seen someone come in and do what he's done between last year and the first four games this year at the quarterback position. Hasn't thrown an interception yet. Uh, is averaging 377 passing yards per game, averaging uh, 11.0 adjusted yards gained per passing attempt. Uh, 9.6 was his number for that last year in the entire NFL, averaging 9.7 yards per attempt. 10 touchdowns leads the NFL, 15-10 passing yards leads the NFL. He's improved his completion percentage. Um, even if you want to do adjusted net yards per pass attempt, 10.64, just substantially higher than anyone else. He led it last year in the NFL with 8.89. He is incredible, and I'm not going to pick him for the MVP at the quarter season. You know why? Because my guy, my man, Christian McCaffrey, a running back for the Carolina Panthers, leads uh, the NFL in scrimmage yards, he's on pace to break Chris Johnson's scrimmage yards record. He is the reason, in my opinion, that Carolina has been able to fight back to two and two. He already has tied LaDainian Tomlinson for most career catches by a running back, 10 or more, 10 catches or more in a single game, the six. Um, he is an unbelievable runner between the tackles already. He's improved in that area. He's a great pass catcher. He's averaging 4.8 yards per attempt, four rushing touchdowns. Catching everything in sight. Fantasy monster too. Getting overworked a little bit. I don't know if he can stay healthy. I don't know if he can do this for the whole season. And I don't think he'll actually win this award, but I'm going to give it to him at the quarter poll because he's helped keep the Panthers alive 
rather than them falling to 0 and 4. I understand why you're all up in uh, C-Mac's business. That's right, C-Mac. But the, when CJ, Chris Johnson, CJ 2K pulled off what you were just talking about, do you think he won the uh, MVP that year, if you had to guess? No, but if you're looking at the total yards from scrimmage, three out of the top five seasons all-time won MVP. So that's right, no. Peyton Manning won it. That, that's the correct answer. And I would also say this, and, I, and I, I do love Christian McCaffrey, but if you take Patrick Mahomes off the Chiefs and you take Christian McCaffrey off the Panthers, which team is worse? Obviously the Chiefs. You didn't tell me, tell me Andy Reid couldn't be 4-0 with Alex Smith? Because I think not, not Alex Smith obviously right now, but like, what did Alex Smith was the half season MVP a few years ago when Mahomes was sitting on the bench? Not half season, probably the first five or six games that year, but potentially. So if they were 4, if, if he, could he be 4-0 with, um, Josh, yeah, come on, Will. There's not even an argument to be made. The stuff Patrick Mahomes was doing is so far past anything like we've seen before. Like, I know this got a lot of run virally when he turned back and looked at the official this past week when he scrambled from the pocket just to see if he threw a flag. But, like, what quarterback has the presence of mind to do that for starters? And then he just decides, all right, he didn't throw a flag. I'm going to continue to run downfield and pick up a first down. Like, that is one of those things like Patrick Mahomes has figured out the game of football and playing quarterback so well that he should move on to like bigger concerns, like energy crisis, you know, <laughs> for, for around the globe. Like how can we conserve more energy? Cause he's actually able to figure out how to do that during a game on the road versus Detroit this past week. Like maybe that those are some of the bigger issues he should be focusing on. All right. Hey, look, look, he's going to, he's probably going to win it. He's minus 110 now at the Westgate uh, to win it. So that is, um, that is pretty, or who else could creep in? Who else could challenge him? Cause so there's, cause look, this is how it works. It doesn't matter. Like, well, okay. You, you have to be on a winning team. So that's one of the knocks that's against Christian McCaffrey. If they don't win football games as impressive as it is, he's not going to be a part of it. So, you know, Mahomes, Brady, who, what other teams do you feel confident in? W- like winning football games being up there yeah. for this award besides those two? I mean, are you, do you really expect Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers to remain undefeated or remain the best team or one of the best teams in the NFC? I don't. I think, look, they're coming off a bye. We'll see how they handle the next stretch of games. I think they're going to kind of come back down to earth and they're going to be closer to a middle of the pack team than one of the best in the NFC. So, you know, maybe Jared Goff, if they can get some things back on track, Russell Wilson, um, the Seahawks are what three and one now. So, um, you know, those are some teams, you know, some guys you can throw to, into consideration, but I just have a hard time believing it's going to be anyone else. Philip Rivers I like Dak. Sweet. Yeah. Dak, Dak's a good choice. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's 12 to one. Dak's 20 to one. CMC, by the way, is down to 20 to one. Dalvin Cook's down to 30 to one. Nick Chubb down to 40 to one. I don't think a running back's going to win it. They're going to have to have an incredibly transcendent season to, to topple McCaffrey. I mean, to, to topple Mahomes. Um, I will throw out Philip Rivers. Just like if Philip Rivers swept the Chiefs. The least shocking thing that we've heard. Well, the second least shocking thing we've heard you say so far on this podcast. Oh, but the most shocking was right before the break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was right before the break. <laughs> um, all right, let's get out of here. Tight 45 minutes. Uh, was it? Ah, it didn't no suck, idea. Will. It didn't suck. It didn't suck. <laughs> it didn't suck, Brady. Uh, Deshaun Watson 25 to 1 would be, uh, would be pretty good. This podcast was under an hour. That's all you need to know. Thanks for listening. Subscribe. Leave a Apple, uh, Apple podcast review. Ask Brady a question. And, uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Well, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. I'll talk to you guys next week. 
was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent the personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.